So as you're opening the book of James, this is also one of the only times when I watch people pull out their phones and I just trust that they're opening their Bible app. You know, like I'm okay with that as long as you're not like getting your Bible app from Instagram. That's fine. But the book of James states in chapter 5, and like I said, we're going to the last half, is it starts in verse 13. It says, Is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this is why I chose this passage. The prayers of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'll read that one more time so it'll really drive it home. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So you see... The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. Do you really believe that? I was reading a book called The Power to Change, and one of the things that he brought up is why don't Christians pray fervently? Why don't we pray all the time? Why don't we pray in all circumstances? Is it because deep down we don't believe it'll do any good? What value is there in our prayers? And I think that if we truly understood the value of prayer in our lives, we would be a people who prayed without ceasing if we really understood it. But prayer, to me, is absolutely baffling. And what's baffling isn't how to pray, because how to pray is actually very intuitive, I think that anyone who's ever been in, a, in real trouble and cried out like, help me, Jesus, you understand how simple prayer works. <laughs> fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. We, it's easy to pray because the way I look at it is like fish swim, birds fly, and Christians pray. Because all prayer is, for me to define it, is prayer is opening your heart to God. And so if you say, like when people who come to Christ and they say, how, how am I supposed to pray? Do I have to clasp my hands and get down on my knees? And I'm like, no, 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 man. You just open your heart to God and let it rip. <laughs> That's how you pray. Because God hears you. He wants to hear you and he loves you. So it's not how to pray. That's not as baffling. For me, it's the effects of of prayer to produce change in our lives and in ourselves that for me is difficult to fathom the depths of it. And so today, what we're going to examine in the, in the realm of prayer is the Lord's Prayer. Because 
I may have hung on a question where I say it's baffling to me the effects of prayer. Well, it's probably going to remain baffling. <laughs> so, it is what it is. But today I want to examine the Lord's Prayer. And so for that, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, because James was to say that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And that idea that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective, that's going to come into play in direct relationship to Matthew 6. And what we're going to learn is not only a very simple and elegant prayer, but also how to pray it in a way that flows from a righteous heart and God is is pleased with. All right, chapter 6, verse 1 through 18, it says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go to your Father who is unseen. Oh, sorry, I skipped a line. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I hope by now you're thinking, man, you had all this lead up to the Lord's prayer. That was a lot more than just the Lord's Prayer. And there's a reason for that. It's because the Lord's Prayer is found in a specific place in Matthew that to even go back another chapter in verse five or chapter five, it begins, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus had already gathered a group of people who wanted to hear more from him. And why they wanted to hear more from him specifically is that John the Baptist had prepared the way for him and said, this is the chosen one of God whom I was telling you about. So John the Baptist's ministry confirmed it. Jesus announced in the synagogues when he rolled from the scroll of Isaiah, he said, this has been fulfilled in your presence today. They didn't take that very well. 
And then he was already going out and beginning his healing ministry, which you take all those three things and you put them together, and then he goes out and he says, I'm going to give this sermon and this teaching, and people were really curious, and they wanted to know what he had to say. And this is what's recorded in Matthew as his first major address where he got up and started teaching, and the whole theme of the Sermon on the Mount is how righteousness works in the kingdom of God. How does righteousness work in the kingdom of God? And that's the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's so many great teachings in it. And so that's where to put that he's talking about how to live righteously as disciples of Christ. And so then he goes, we're going to zoom in a little closer and we're going to tighten that microscope, that the central teaching, the reason I had to include the first and the last is because this is actually one teaching on what are the three pillars of righteous living from a religious standpoint. And that came from what Judaism said, these are the three pillars of righteous living. It's almsgiving, it's prayer, and it's fasting. And these are the three things that must be done in order for you to be able to say that you live a righteous life. So that means that the hearers who heard this are already practicing these things in the name of righteousness. So Jesus is addressing the practice of righteous acts. So almsgiving, we call that giving to the poor. And it's righteous to do those things. And I think that one of the reasons why it might be downplayed a little bit in the U.S. church, the United States church, is we have a program called Social Security. And the government does it for us. Meaning that whenever you look at your paycheck and go, FICA! That's the Social Security tax on there. Just consider it your almsgiving. And that'll really change your attitude towards it. And now you're not being taxed. Now you're giving to the poor and needy, and it's a righteous act. That's the loophole I choose to look at it through. Because understand this, and this is something that, just so you know, I put my money where my mouth is. Ministers, when you first get into ministry, you have the option to opt out of Social Security. It's a minister thing. And I didn't. I did not opt out of Social Security because I know people who rely on it to survive. And so I decided it was a worthy cause to pay into. And so I pay my taxes. So it's almsgiving, because like I said, it's for people who are disabled. What is someone who can't work? How do they buy food? So almsgiving, giving to the poor, that's a righteous act. Prayer is a righteous act because prayer is the practice of the presence of God. It's pouring our hearts out to God. And when God hears our prayers, what are we praying for? And how does that affect God? It is beyond my comprehension that God, who lives on a high and a holy mountain, whose name is holy, who created all things with his breath and is sovereign over all his creation, listens to me. 
He listens to you. Because when I say he listens to me, that's not me going like, and the rest of you, like, give me your prayer requests and I'll, you know. That's not, he listens to his people. And it changes the world around us because it, it and they, it gets God to act. It's righteous. The value of prayer cannot be overstated. And fasting is something that we tend to overlook as an act of righteousness. But what is fasting? Fasting is the denial of self. Because true fasting in the biblical sense is to deny yourself a need. Because I practice Lent, and I find it really funny when I bump into Christians who are like, I'm like, oh, you're doing Lent? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm doing Lent too. And I'm like, great, what have you given up? And they're like, I gave up chips and donuts. I'm like, good, good. Um, so, you know, like this isn't a New Year's resolution. This is fasting. Give up something that you will be extremely happy to pick back up again on Easter. Fasting is denial of self. It's the practice of self-mastery. It requires discipline and intention. It's the reality that we say, if you give up food, of saying, I do not rely on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It says earlier in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Are we willing to be uncomfortable for righteousness? Fasting is an act of righteousness. It's vital because it highlights our dependence on God. So we can see from the Lord's Prayer inside the Sermon on the Mount, which is a discourse on those who claim to follow Jesus are to live righteously. Because now that I've given the context, now we can start talking about the, the, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things about this is Jesus is saying in this that your righteous acts are not something you do in order for people to see you as righteous. They are something you do that flows out of a righteous heart. And is this not one of the central teachings of the Christ? When he said to the Pharisees, you are like a bull that has been washed on the outside, but inside is filthy. It is not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but what comes out of him. Because what comes out of a man's mouth is a reflection of his heart. And that's where righteousness is cultivated. And so in this, our righteous acts are not something that we do to make us righteous. It is something that we do because the righteousness of Christ has filled our hearts. And then this goes back into the nature of prayer when I said it is opening your heart to God. And if we are doing these things so that we can be ultra-spiritual, what reward would God give us? What can God give to those who are trying to make themselves great or, or powerful 
No, we who have decided to follow Jesus, we who proclaim him as Lord, we do not rely on ourselves for righteousness. We rely on the Spirit of God in us to cleanse us from the inside, and then our righteousness flows from that. That's what it means to be righteous in God's kingdom. So how do we practice the righteousness of the prayer found in this specific chapter of the Bible? I say that specific chapter of the Bible, this isn't a sermon on prayer, because prayer is used some like, if you go to a concordance, I think it was 357 times is where you find like the word like prayer And so the problem isn't that we have too little to go on. It's that you're going to quickly get overwhelmed. And like, where do you even begin with this? So we're going to zero in just on this prayer and this prayer alone. But let's look at his instructions first on how to pray. And here's the first thing. If you want to know instructions on how to pray, the first is check your motive. Check your motive. Why are you praying to God? Is the prayer really to God, or are you praying to those who are listening to hear you? Because one thing that I don't want you to do is to check your motives and say that unless you're on like, you're feeling good with God, because I'll tell you, I've had many prayers where I've opened my heart to God and said, God, I am so angry with you, I don't know how I can go on being your son. I know what that prayer feels like. I know what it's like to cry out and say, why have you done this, God? How can I love you? I know what that prayer feels like. Like, so I'm not saying check your motive and unless you're like sitting at home going, I feel great today. It's a good time to pray. And if you're sad or angry or frustrated, like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't pray. And I'm like, no, that's when you need to super pray. But your motives, what I mean is, is are you praying to God or do you want people to hear you? Now, I want you to know that we as human can do the absolute right thing, but for the absolutely wrong reason. There are people who go into the preaching ministry not because they want to be in service of God and his people, but because they love the sound of their voice and they want to be the center of attention. Something I find really intriguing, super intriguing, is the amount of people who have taken a platform of a deconstructed Christian, that means they got into ministry, they were preachers, and now they use that as their credentials on how they're going to convince you why you shouldn't be a Christian. And I think here's what's interesting. Okay, you shipwrecked your faith, but you couldn't give up the pulpit. Why did you go into the pulpit in the first place? Because now you're not convincing people to believe in God. You're trying to convince them not to believe in God. You couldn't let go of the pulpit. You are still trying to influence the thoughts of others. There are preachers who do these things. And then there are also worship leaders. It's the biggest stage they're ever going to have. And they love it. And they're not in their hearts trying to lead God's people into worship for the good of the praise of the glory of God. They want to sing, they want to dance, and they want you to tell them what a great job they did. Now, these are things that only, the, only, the heart, only God can discern someone's motives. 
because I'm a preacher, I know worship leaders, and we have chats behind closed doors about these things, and there are righteous worship leaders. <laughs> Looking at you, Dave and Flory. And so there are people who come into it with the right and a pure heart. I'm not saying that anyone who wants to be a worship leader or enjoys leading worship is wrong. What I'm saying is check your motives. Why are you praying? Do you want to be seen as someone who is um, special, ultra-spiritual? Do you want to lead evangelism for the sake of the lost or to become YouTube famous? Your motives matter. They matter. And so there's also a warning against trying to win God over with many words. And so the word here that he uses is babbling. And the idea of babbling before God, that if you kind of deconstruct the word, is that it's repetition. Saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over in order to accomplish whatever it is that you want. And so, if you'd like to know what my interpretation on that, it's called an incantation. It's witchcraft. Because the reason I say that is that my understanding of witchcraft is they tell you, okay, you gather these, these things together, you crush them up, you burn them on a thing, and then you repeat these words in this direction and in this way, and then whatever it is that you're trying to manifest will come to be because you followed the ritual correctly. It's manipulating the spiritual world around you or the natural, whatever it is. I don't know. I didn't do it. But it's trying to come power to manifest your will into reality. So now let's start taking that into the idea of prayer with God. Can God be commanded? Can God be manipulated? And can you say that, like, when you go to the Lord and you go, all right, God, I need you to do something for me. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray this certain prayer in this certain way, in this certain direction for this many times, because then you have to do it. And that's what he means against warning against babbling like the pagans. Because I also want you to know, as I read this, and I was like, oh no, like warning against babbling before God? Like that's like 90% of my prayer life is just opening up my heart, and I'm like, you know, God, I woke up today, and then I had a piece of toast. And I... Because I just like talking to God. And that's not what this is talking about, because there are also times I want you to know that there's places where I'm really freaked out, where I'm really scared, or there's something really nasty going on, and I can only pray the same thing over and over and over and over, because that's all I can utter out of my heart. And that's not babbling before God. There are times when all I can muster in my prayer life is, God, I'm scared. And I just say that over and over and over and over and over because that's what I've got. So when God says, don't babble like the pagans do, he's not saying that you can't say the same thing over and over, and he's not saying that you can't just have a stream of consciousness dialogue with God, or rather a monologue as mine usually go. What he's saying is don't try and manipulate God by memorizing prayers as a means to get God to do what you want him to do as a piece of control because that's not going to work with God. God cannot be manipulated. 
So when you pray, validate your heart. And to say that you must pray a specific thing in this many specific times in order for God to hear you is erroneous. You don't have to pray the same thing over and over and over for God to hear you. Because that's another piece of saying, don't pray like the pagans do. And my thought on this is that if I told you, okay, in order for God to forgive you, you need to say this prayer this many times and in this many fashion. That's erroneous. That's not what God has in mind with the Lord's Prayer. So repeating, and now we're going to talk a little bit about counterbalancing some of this stuff. Because like I was saying, that to, to say that repeating a prayer over and over, I'm not saying it's bad because repeating the same prayer over and over and over can bring a great deal of comfort. And I also think that there are value in rote prayer. What I mean by that is there's a prayer that's one of my all-time favorite prayers, and I can just rattle it off really quick because it goes like this. Father, today I give you my life and my will to do as you would with. Please remove my difficulties that my victory over them, I may better serve you. I pray today only for the knowledge of your will and the power to carry it out. Now you might hear that and say, wow, that sounded really formulaic, but I meant every word. And I try and pray that every morning. So there's nothing wrong with rote prayers. I have in my home office, I have a books of common prayer from like six different denominations. And my, one of my all-time favorites is um, the one that is from the first 300 years of Christianity. Because I can pull that off the shelf, crack it open, and find a prayer. And I pray it. And I'm praying a prayer that Christians have been praying for thousands of years. And I think there's value in that. There's nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer and praying it. In fact, there's a lot of value in that. But then we also have to counterbalance the idea that the Lord's Prayer is the only prayer or like the most special prayer. Because here's why I say I counterbalance that. The Lord's Prayer has value, a great deal of value. Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you should pray. But is it the only prayer? No, it is not. There are many prayers. And there's also many types of prayer. There are times where I like to give a prayer of thanksgiving. And that's where I pray, and all I'm doing is thanking God for what he has done. That's a good prayer. There are prayers of intercession where I beg God to intercede in someone's life. I don't know the extent of how that works, but I know I feel compelled to do it. And so I do. There's many types of prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is not the only prayer, or like, like the top prayer, where I'm going to say, you know, like, there's the Lord's Prayer, and then there's prayer. You know? But the Lord's Prayer is something that is absolutely valuable and vital and taught by Jesus as a righteous prayer, and that should get our attention. It also says that if you're not willing to forgive others, then the Lord won't forgive you. You want to talk about checking your motives and checking your heart. 
Jesus said, if you are not willing to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you. Where does that fit into your theology? And so I'm going to take that and I'm just going to punt. (laughs) For more information, read the parable of the unmerciful servant. So the Lord's Prayer, to talk about it, okay, and I'm hoping by now you're like, got it, great. Let's move on. I hope that's where you're at with that because it's where I'm at with that. So to break down the Lord's Prayer as a prayer, what does it consist of? What is in it? Okay, it starts with an invocation, our Father in heaven. So it's an address. Who are we praying to? We're praying to our Father in heaven. And here's one of the things that I love about it is our Father in heaven, the idea of like, well, I don't feel comfortable getting up and praying like Daddy God, but that's what it is. It's taking God, the Most High, the Lord of creation, and calling him our Father. Don't underestimate that or gloss over it, because what does it tell you about the heart of God? It means he loves you, and he wants you to love him. Hallowed be thy name. That's where it says the idea of God, hallow your name, make it holy. Only God can make his name holy. And it's acknowledging that God is holy and that only God could be holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer of submission. Because what are we saying in that? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus Christ, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knew what he was about to do, he did not want to go. He said, Father, may this cup Pass from me, but if it cannot, your will be done. That's a prayer of submission. Because when God is seated on his holy throne and the angels are flying around him crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and God says, hey, angel, I want you to go this, do or that, he goes and does it. May it be that way on earth. May we submit our lives to the will of God. So we have a prayer of submission. Give us today our daily bread. And this is one that for me is audacious because I have a hard time commanding God. So like, hey God, give us today our bread. But that's how Jesus worded it. It's acknowledging that we need food, that we need water. And for me, it extends into all areas. It knows God knows we need shelter that we need clothing. And for us, as we pray, it acknowledges that we rely on God for everything and that all blessings flow from his hands. Our clothes, our cars, our homes, our health, all of it is a blessing that flowed from the hand of God. So give us today our daily bread touches on that. And so not only is it us acknowledging to God, yeah, we need these things, like, God, I need oxygen to breathe, and God's like, I got you on that one, bud. (laughs) Unless you go to space, and then, you know. (laughs) Sorry, that's weird. (laughs) Stick to the script, man. So then the last one that we have, all right, goes on. Uh, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Like I said, if you are not willing to forgive someone who has wronged you, 
then you do not understand how much you have been forgiven by God. I know my sins before the Lord. How could I hold it against anyone who has wronged me? And if you'd like to know a little trick, this one was, was of great value to me. If you're sitting there and you're burning inside and you're like, how can I forgive someone who wronged me so deeply? How can I forgive someone who hurt me so deep? This is something that really helped me with that, is understanding that they were spiritually sick. And the reason why this has helped me out is because now, instead of viewing it as someone going out and like actively thinking, how can I wreck Evan Cookman, I look at it as they were, they were not well. They were sick. And instead of being filled with wrath and indignation, I'm filled with pity and compassion because I want to see them made well. Because the things that people did to me that were wicked and evil, they wouldn't have done it if they were spiritually well. But they were sick inside. They were wounded. There was something wrong with their heart. And that has helped me tremendously in forgiving others. And so I thought I'd share that with all of you. But if you're not willing to forgive, it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those. And this is another one where Jesus says, be careful how you judge for whatever matter you judge others will be the rod that's used on you. And so I have to say, forgive me as I have forgiven. And I think about the people who come to my mind where I'm like, okay. And then I just like full pardon. Because that's, that's what I'm hoping for from God. And then it ends with this. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have a prayer where we ask for protection against evil. Because there is a spiritual war that is raging around us at all times, and most of us are just blissfully ignorant of it. Like every time I've come under spiritual attack, I'm not really aware until it's over because I'm kind of oblivious to those sorts of things. You know? Like it's weird. I come out of it, and I'm like, wow, that was a really weird season. And then someone's like, yeah, man, you were under spiritual attack. I'm like, whoa, glad that's over. The Lord's prayer really came through for me on that one. But there is something going on in the spiritual world around us, and we ask God to protect us from evil because this is another thing, that without the protection of God inside you, without the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of your heart, do you think that you could outwit the devil? Do you think you could outsmart a demon? I firmly believe that if I left the comfort and safety of God's embrace, that they would chew me up and spit me out before I even knew it was begun and over. And so I pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I acknowledge that there is a spiritual war going on around me, and I ask the Holy Spirit to keep me safe. So that's the Lord's Prayer. So then, what we're also used to, for thine is the power of the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. That was tacked on later. I'm not bummed out that it was tacked on later. I tack it on later because I like to end with, with doxology, you know, like let's praise God. So I don't mind tacking it on there. But in the original earliest manuscripts, it just ends with him saying, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. So that's the Lord's Prayer. And if you want to know the truth, if I could only have one prayer memorized, if I could only have one, it would be this one. 
because there is value in memorized prayer. Because like I said earlier, there are times in our lives when we don't know what to say, when we don't have words for the Lord. And that's when having a memorized prayer really comes in handy. And if you don't know what to say sometimes and you just want to pour your heart out to God but you don't have words, just open the book of Psalms. Pray through that. You'll find words there. But I think there's so much value in the Lord's prayer and praying it regularly. Because to backtrack a little bit to where I started, this is found in the Sermon of the Mount where God's instructing, this is how my people will live righteously. And he says, this is how my people will pray righteously. So we have to take that seriously. And then, this is in the three pillars of righteous acts. It's a righteous act to pray. And like I was, like, to tie it all together, like I said, analyze your heart. Because our righteous acts aren't to be considered righteous. It's in order to live righteously. So, I also want to talk a little bit about the corporate practice of religious devotion, of almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. I think it's interesting that in these, God's assuming that we're doing these things publicly. And this is another thing that I think is interesting is that we have so much of an us and Jesus mentality that my relationship with Jesus is mine and we forget community and we forget the way that we do not live for ourselves but we live for one another and that is something we do in community. Do we pray together as a community? And this is where we have to start practicing balance as well because the next thing out of my mouth is I look down and it says and when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father (laughs) so we have to balance these things out but this is where we become righteous before the Lord we do these things with correct motives we give to the needy not so that we can be acknowledged as such, but for the good of giving to those who need the help. And we pray, we try and pray to open our hearts and our minds to God, and we fast so that we can grow in our knowledge of God, and we don't do these things to become religious spectacles. There are incalculable benefits to practicing these disciplines when done correctly. If you want to live a righteous life, you will give to the poor and the needy. If you want to be called righteous before the Lord, I'm not talking about by me, I'm talking about before God, you will have a rich and vibrant prayer life. And you will learn to practice fasting. And it is amazing how much your life will change And the world will change around you through those three simple acts. To wrap it all up, I want to talk, I'm going to end it with this, is the value of a balanced prayer life. Because I don't think that we should read this passage as an indictment against corporate prayer, but I also think that corporate prayer is important. 
And I think that memorized prayer balanced with conversations with God are valuable. Because there are times when Scripture sums up a prayer better than any way that I could have worded that prayer. But there are also times when I just open my heart to God and pour it out. I think I've already established that trying to manipulate God as wicked and evil, but there are times when just pray the same thing over and over and over and over. But not to manipulate God. We have to have balance in these things. We should have a prayer life where we pray corporately and we pray privately. We should have memorized prayers and we should have conversations with God. And we need to balance our prayer life to have prayers of praise and thanksgiving and invocation and intercession and any other category of prayer because it's absolutely necessary for us because prayer is the practice of the presence of God. Do you want to know the will of God? Fast and pray. Do you want to live righteously? Find ways to serve. This is what it means to be a disciple of Christ to improve our conscious contact with the divine and have a relationship with our creator and savior. Because if you're not actively praying, if you don't actively have a balanced and robust prayer life, what's going to happen? I can give you the answer. You will become more and more self-reliant, and that's bad. If you neglect your prayer life, you will lose out on your proximity to God And that's bad. If you aren't praying on the regular, you are drifting farther from God and his will. And you will only become more self-reliant. I was having a conversation at one of the tables that God is a better manager for my life than I could ever hope to be. I don't want control. And when I stop praying, I start taking control. And that's bad. <laughs> so, so let us take home Matthew 6, chapters 6, verses 1 through 18. That we as disciples of Christ are called to live righteously. But our righteousness does not come through righteous acts. No, our acts come from the wellspring of righteousness, from a transformed heart before God. We need to be able to be a people who give cheerfully. We need to be a people who forgive freely who pray deeply, and who fast to grow closer to God. And we do not do these things because we want to be seen. We do these things because we want to see. We want to see the will of God and know that. And so we want to be a people who live holy and righteous lives, pleasing to God, because it's good for our souls, it's good for our families, and it's good for our community. And if you would indulge me, if you would all, this is something that I, would mean a great deal to me, is that if we could stand up and pray the Lord's Prayer together in unison. Now, what I want you to kind of consider this is that we as one people are praying one prayer to God as a sign of our unity. And also, I'll let you know that I chose the King James Version for this prayer because much like Psalm 23, The Lord's Prayer sounds odd to me when it's in any other translation. Psalm 23, you know, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Bah, I shall not want. 
So <laughs> I have chosen the King James Version for the Lord's Prayer, but let us all pray this together. I'm going to turn my microphone off, and we'll pray this. <laughs> 